to you that I want to talk to you tonight on the thought of the man, and we could add the woman, the young person, the individual, God uses. It's amazing and wonderful to realize that God has chosen to use the instrumentality of man to perform his bidding and his doing on this earth and as far as the reaching of the souls of men and bringing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. How often I think, I'm sure you find yourself, if you are a child of God, if you're a believer, you find yourself praying as I do, Lord, please use me. Use me in your service. Lord, use me to bring somebody to Christ. Use me, dear Lord, to be a blessing to somebody. Use me as a channel through which your spirit can move. And I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm going out of bounds when I say that I believe any true child of God has a desire to be used of the Lord in some way to be a blessing to others and to reach others. I wonder, do we find ourselves praying then as Isaiah did in the sixth chapter of Isaiah when he said, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Now, I I think I can say this too uh, about all of us. I certainly do not want to just be partially used of the Lord. I want God to be able to use me to the maximum. I want him to be able to do through me that maximum work that he has desired and he is designed to do. And I don't think any of us should ever, ever be content or satisfied by just doing a partial thing for the Lord or that God can just use us partially. But rather, it should be our prayer, O Lord, use me to the very maximum of the ability that you've given me, of the gifts that you have bestowed upon me. Use me to the very maximum. I believe Abraham might be a case in point where in his early lifetime, the Lord can only use him in a partial sense. Uh, That is, until that crucial moment of the breaking of Abraham's will when he went up to Mount Moriah and offered there his son Isaac to the Lord. I believe it was from that point onward that God was able to use his servant to the very maximum. And there may be that thing in your life or mine that the Lord may have to bring us to and we may have to yet face a Mount Moriah experience before God can truly use us to the maximum in our life. And I don't know what that experience of a Mount Moriah of yours or mine may be. I could only, I could only imagine, I could only think what those very uh, sacrifices may be. But one, one thing I want you to remember about the truth tonight is this, that for God to use us to the maximum, there are conditions that he has laid down in, for us in order for him to be able to use us in that maximum way. Let me give you five or six of those if I can possibly do it. I was telling somebody today, I felt like I'd been run over by an 18-wheel truck and then a steamroller on top of that. And this morning, I got the church in the foot. Uh, I saw y'all grinning. I didn't know what in the world it was about, but I knew I'd, I'd stuck my foot in my mouth or my mouth in my foot one. And uh, so uh, just hang in there and I hope you can interpret some of my, some of my, uh, I started to say my tongues. But anyway, I hope you can kind of interpret those every once in a while. 
Let me give you five or six things that I believe are definitely conditions that must be met if God is to use us to the maximum as far as reaching unsaved men and women are concerned. And I want you to know as your pastor, I've been encouraged and my heart has been so grateful to God to see the Holy Spirit creating and firing up many of our people in their interest of getting unsaved people to Christ, of being able to witness for the Savior, to give up the gospel by word of mouth or by the passing out of a gospel tract or even the inviting of some unsaved friend to come with them to the house of God. First of all, let me say that in order for God to use us, there must be a vision of heart of the utter, total bankruptcy of the human race. And when I say bankruptcy of the human race, I'm not talking about money or silver or gold, but rather the spiritual bankruptcy of the human race. We must realize then, if God is to use us in the reaching of the unsaved, we must realize and believe with all of our heart that the Bible says and is correct when it says that men in their natural state are dead in their trespasses and their sin. We must, if we're to have a flaming heart to win others to Jesus Christ and for God to use us in that area, we must believe with all of our heart that as the Bible says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is none righteous, no, not one. Now my fear is this. I fear that that is only kind of a mental concept. We have heard it said so often, but really do we honestly believe that men who have never come to know Christ are lost and indeed that they are lost eternally? Do we really believe that with our heart? Has that vision ever found its way into your heart and soul as a professed child of God? That your loved one who has never trusted Jesus Christ, that one who has come to an age of accountability, do you really believe that if they were to die tonight in their Christ-rejecting heart, that they would go to eternal hell? Do we really believe that? Do we honestly believe that those with whom we work on the job, in the office, the school, the, uh, the plant, or wherever, do we honestly believe with our heart that men, aside from and apart from Jesus Christ, that they are bound for eternal hell? In other words, we're never going to be much of a witness until that very firmness of belief finds its way into our heart. Indeed, we must understand that unless a person experiences, as Jesus said, the new birth, unless they are born again, they will never see the kingdom of God. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how kind. I do not care how moral. I care not what church they belong to, who their preacher is. I don't care how big a Bible they carry. Do we really honestly realize that men who have not been born again will never see nor enter into the kingdom of God? There are those who would try to tell us that really man is not such a bad off sinner after all, that he's got a little spark of God in him and, and all that needs to happen is just a little spiritual cultivation and he'll eventually bloom into a marvelous Christian. Well, the truth is that is not the truth. 
The Bible reveals that by nature, men are sinners. So it is not cultivation that man needs, but rather conversion. He needs a change in his heart. And yet, if we do not believe that with all of our heart, we're not going to be used very much of God to get lost men and women to Jesus Christ. Not only that, but there's a second thing that I think must be met if we are to be used of God. And that is, there must be a realization of the adequacy of God's salvation. And I mean simply by that this, that God's plan of salvation, that the gospel that he gives to us in the word of God, though man is totally bankrupt, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation that God has provided in him is the perfect remedy and that there is no other remedy. You see, as long as we have somehow in the back of our mind, well, it'd be nice for that fellow to be saved, but in the back of our mind we say it's not really necessary. You know, as long as that's there and we do not really feel and know in our heart that if a man comes to Jesus Christ, that is God's solution for the basic problem in his life. But do we believe that? Often we're not used of God because that is not a firm belief in our heart. And yet Paul, who was so mightily used of the Lord in the New Testament era, Paul was a man who really believed that. He believed that man was totally bankrupt but he also believed that God's salvation was absolutely altogether adequate to meet that basic need in a man's life. And for that reason, Paul could exalt and say in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, of the Jew and all sort of the Greek. In other words, the word ashamed means disappointed. Paul said, I'm not disappointed why he said, I've introduced men to Jesus Christ, given them the gospel of Christ, men who were incorrigibles, men who seemed to be unchangeable, society couldn't do anything for them, uh, the, the doctor couldn't do anything for them, but oh, the gospel is adequate to change the lives of men. How many I've known in my lifetime, just old, staggering, blurry-eyed, thick-tongued drunks. And yet everybody in the country has tried to do something to cure them, you know. And here that fellow comes to Jesus Christ. And bud, I want to tell you the gospel of Christ, a good dose of old time religion and salvation has changed many a man. Mel Trotter, who was used of God to establish so many rescue missions all over America and who was used of God to reach literally thousands and thousands of people. Mel Trotter was a sot drunk, as we say. And yet, no, there seemed to be no help for him. And I've told you a story before how he even palmed the shoes off of his own little dead baby's feet in order to get him money to buy another drink of liquor. And yet, here's this fellow, man wasn't able to change. But when he heard the gospel that night in that little rescue mission in Chicago, Mel Trotter came to know Jesus Christ, and he was a transformed man. I'm here to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the solution. If I didn't believe that, folks, listen to me. I'd quit preaching. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be called a preacher. I wouldn't be found standing in the pulpit taking up people's time and giving them some kind of little psychological lecture and giving them some little man's philosophy. Oh, listen, if I didn't believe with all of my heart that Christ is the answer for the basic need of man, listen, I'd quit. I wouldn't leave home anymore. I'd stay home and sleep in the barn from now on, buddy. I'll tell you.
But the truth is, a man who is used of God, a woman who is used of God, must believe in the adequacy of of the Lord's salvation. You see, the United Nations doesn't really have the solution to man's problem. Politicians don't have the solution. Statesmen do not have the solution. Governments do not have the solution. You and I, who are born again, children of God, are the only folks who have the solution to the real problem of man. And that solution is summed up in the words of Paul as he, as he defines the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. And he just summed it up and said, Christ died for us. He believed in the adequacy of God's salvation. So now unless you believe, uh, believe that the gospel is that solution and that there is no other remedy for man's condition, I tell you, you will not be used of God to reach a lost world for Jesus Christ. There's a third thing that I think is a condition that if we're to be used of God and that must be met, and that is that it it must be a life that is totally and completely given to one purpose in life. A life that is given over to one purpose. Now the reason many of us fail in so many areas of life, we're trying to do too many things at one time. Paul was a one thing kind of man. You remember he said in the Philippian letter, this one thing I do. I would ask you this, are you a one, a one thing Christian? Have you really zeroed your heart and your life in the direction of bringing others to the Lamb of God to bring them to the Savior? Jesus said it like this, if thine eye be single, Thy whole body shall be full of light. In other words, the reason we're in the dark so often in our lives, we have not really committed ourselves to that one purpose in life, and that is bringing others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Divided interests, divided schemes and plans, interest in other things is indeed not going to bring success in the life of the man or woman or the young person who desires to be used of God. Are you a one thing kind of person? Have you zeroed in on it? And have you said, this is my life. I'm intending for God to use me. I want to meet his conditions. I give myself over totally altogether to the Lord to this one thing. This one thing I do. Now, the old monks, had, uh, had the right, uh, well, they had the right idea. Uh, they, they, they separated themselves from the world. They hid behind the brick walls and their purpose was, their purpose was so they could dedicate themselves to the devotion of God, themselves to serving God in that capacity. Now, they were right in their idea, but they were wrong in their method. The method is not that we isolate ourselves in our total commitment to that one purpose of getting the gospel out, but rather the right method is that we mingle among men and women in this world and yet keep our eye on the right goal, and that is endeavoring to get to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think Paul had that in mind too when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And he said, no man that warreth, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may prove to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
often then our life as a child of God, being used of God to win our friends to Jesus is defeated because we're wrapped up in the affairs of this life. We need then ever to keep before us the great purpose and the calling that God has given not just to a fellow who calls himself a preacher, an evangelist, a missionary, but to every one of us right here tonight who is saying ought to have as the goal in our life of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. There's a fourth thing of the six, and that is if we're to be used of God, our life must be a life from which every known hindrance has been removed. Every known hindrance has been removed. Remember the psalmist said in Psalm 66, I believe it's verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He is saying simply, the Lord won't even bend his ear in our direction. That is, if we harbor something in our life that we know is a violation of the will of God, that is not according to the word of God, that is sin, and we're hanging on to it, the Lord said, hey, I I won't even hear you. And if that be the case, I'll guarantee this, God can't use the man or the woman or the young person who in his life knows that there is an area that is not right with God and yet expect God to bless him and use him. I want to tell you, you might as well forget it. The whole story is there's often an Achan in our own camp. You remember Joshua 7? When Israel went up against little Ai and instead of having victory over that little small nation, that little army, they were sorely defeated and many of their men were died and perished and they came back crippled and wounded and dead. They were brought bring back their dead. And yet it was all because there was an Achan, a fellow by the name of Achan in the camp who had verily disobeyed God. I want to ask you a question. Listen to me carefully. Answer it honestly. Is there something in your life, an attitude of your heart, maybe of unforgiveness, maybe of jealousy, maybe of resentment, maybe of rejection of someone else, unforgiveness, Is there something of that nature in your life and is that being harbored in your heart? If so, listen to me, God cannot use a man or woman who harbors known iniquity and sin and rebellion in their heart. For that reason, we need to pray what the psalmist did in Psalm 139. Let me ask you to look at this and make it your prayer tonight. In Psalm 139 and verse, uh, if I can remember, verse 23 and verse 24. And the psalmist prays it like this. Uh, Psalm 139 and verse uh, 23 and 24. Oh yes, that's it. Verse 23 and 24. And he says this. Listen to him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you dare ask God to search your heart? If you're going to be used of God, I guarantee he's going to have to search you out. And so David is saying, I think in in the train of thought that we're thinking about tonight, David said, Lord, I want you to use me, but I know if there are hidden things in my life, you can't. Now listen, I don't even have to name the thing that maybe is the hindrance in your life. 
there's a preacher here tonight that you don't see that's already talked to you. The very mention of harbored sin in the believer's life, the Holy Spirit has already brought it to your attention. Already come up if you've been thinking along with me. Now then, what we need to do is crush that idol, that thing that we love so much and that we're unwilling to surrender, whatever it be, attitude, habit, action, reaction, whatever, we need to crush that, to break that idol in our life that God can take us and use us. You know, when the Lord deals with us about uh, crushing and breaking the idols that we keep between us and him, it's such a hard battle and yet the devil keeps from us this truth that when those idols are really broken, then the treasure of the great blessings of God can pour upon us. But the devil don't want you to know that. It is a story that I heard many, many years ago, and I don't even know, it's been so long ago, where it came from. It was the story of a, a village who had worshipped an idol, and uh, those idols stood out in the center of the village. And a missionary came through and preached the gospel and began to tell the people who had come to Christ, you must destroy your idols. And it was a very hard battle for some of these people because they'd been reared in that kind of idolatrous worship from childhood. And they feared to break them. And the missionary kept saying, but God cannot bless you. God cannot use you unless you destroy these idols. And finally they came to the place of real commitment. And when they said, we're going to destroy them, they went out into the center of the village, took long sticks, and they began to hit those idols. And when the idols broke, lo and behold, from out of the inside of those idols, there poured jewels of, of an estimable worth. Same thing happens in your life and mine. The devil creates an idol, a little thing that we love, a little thing that we're saying, hey, I just can't do without there ought to not be one thing in your life or mine that we can't do without. As far as God is concerned and our spiritual life is concerned, only the devil would enslave you like that. And yet here, there must be a breaking of those idols in life, a removing them if indeed God is going to be able to use us. Every known hindrance must be forsaken. Not only that, but in the fifth place of the six things that God looks for if he is to use us, there must be a life that is placed absolutely at God's disposal. Your life and mine presented absolutely at God's disposal. In other words, we don't come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to use me and I'm willing for you to use me if you'll use me right here. If you'll use me in this capacity, Lord, I'm willing for you to use me. But God, I've got my own plans. And you see, Lord, I've been trained and educated and I'm ready to do this thing in this area. And Lord, I'm willing for you to use me if you'll use me here. And the Lord said, that's not where I want you. I have other things for you. It may not be in the limelight. It may be back behind the wall on your knees interceding for someone else who is out there on the front line. 
The whole story is God would have our will broken and our will submitted to him and we're willing to say, Lord, it doesn't matter to me where you want me, what you want me to do, if you want me to go through life single or married, if you want me to go through life uh, poor or wealthy, Lord, it makes no difference. I put my life into your hands at your disposal. God, here I am. Paul had that idea again when in Romans 6 he wrote, chapter 6, verse 13. And he said, yield yourselves unto God. A total absolute disposal of our, of an absolute disposal of ourselves into the hands of God. A potter who works with clay, a potter cannot use clay that resists the pressure of his hand. If the potter is working with his hands to create a certain object, if that clay resists, it is evidence that there is a, a foreign object or substance in that clay that will absolutely forbid the potter creating the design that he desires to create in that design. So something in the clay resists his touch. It must and has to be removed. Now then, likewise, Jesus, our God, is the potter. And we sing it, thou art the potter, I am the clay. As long, are you listening? As long as we have any will of our own, God can do little with us. I want to say that again. As long as I have any will of my own, God can do little with me. My will must merge and mesh with his will. Our cry must from the heart be as our Lord Jesus cried, not my will, but thy will be done. One thing for sure, God is never a taskmaster. He doesn't force you into his will. The first thing he must do is make us willing and you see, the Lord has a lot of ways of letting circumstance come to bear in our lives that we finally come to the place where we're saying, Lord, I'm willing. Now, God's not up there with a log chain dragging you into a certain area of life uh, that you don't want to go, no, but he'll let circumstances come to bear that after a while, you'll cry out unto him and say, Lord, I'm willing, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do that, I'm willing to be that. His will must become our will, not our will become his. Now that's the kind of person God can, that's the only kind of person God can use. What, what could a doctor do, for example, for a patient who's sick, if the patient consistently resists the remedy that the doctor prescribed? I mean, he couldn't do much of anything. Uh, what could Debbie or Pat or Steve or these folk play this instrument, the piano, the organ? What, what kind of music come out of there if when they mashed, and I don't know anything on the piano but middle C. Is that a note, middle C? What if you girls mashed a middle C and all you got was a high F? I mean, that just, I mean it just, it's not cooperating with the one who is playing the instrument. Likewise, an orchestra. Can you imagine everybody in the orchestra playing their own tune and having nothing to do with what the leader and the conductor of that orchestra is calling for? What pandemonium that would be. That would run anybody up the wall. 
And yet what I'm trying to get you to understand is this. There must be a commitment of our will to the will of God. It's not that we come to the Lord and say, Now, Lord, this is what I plan to do in my life for you. Lord, this is what I want to do. And this is where I want to serve. And that's the way I want to do it. Oh, we don't come like that. But as a servant to his master, we're to come with a heart to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm at your disposal. You name it, God, I'm willing to do it. If you want me to dig ditches, I'll dig ditches. If you want me to drive a bus, I'll drive a bus. If you want me to teach sons who class, teach sons who class. You want me to go knocking on doors one day a week? I'll do that. Lord, if you want me to give half of my income to the cause of missions, I'll do that. Lord, if you want me to use my talent, if you want me to go to this school or that school, Lord, just whatever you want. I don't have any plans, God, other than the plans that you have for my life. So there must be a placing of oneself absolutely at the disposal of the hands of God. And finally, let me say this perhaps I could deal with, but I felt these were important for us to think about tonight. And that is, if we're to be used of God, our life must be a life wholly devoted to the glory of God. Wholly devoted for no other purpose than the glory of God. Now let me ask you this. In the capacity you serve the Lord now, why do you serve Him? What do you expect in return? You know what? I know some people who serve the Lord for applause. Well, you say, what do you mean? When they do what they do, everybody in the audience claps, no. But I will show you why I know I know that. I know some people serving the Lord, supposedly, and when nobody expresses thanks or gratitude for it, they're ready to quit. Now, let me ask you to just reason that out. What are they serving for? What is the purpose by it? If I don't get the approval of man, if I don't get the praise and the applause of man, I quit. Well, anybody can figure that out. Ned and the first reader ought to know that. And that is simply, I'm doing it for the applause of man, not for the glory of God, not for the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ, not for, uh, not for him at all. And so if God is to use us, we're to, we're to serve him and with a life that is wholly devoted to his glory and to his glory alone. Not for fame, not for recognition, not for money, but for his glory and for his glory alone. Paul summed it up and he said, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Let me close with this. You remember when old Gideon was going down on the Midianites and the Lord's plan of battle was for them to have a pitcher with a candle, a light in it. They were to have a trumpet. And uh, when, uh, when uh, Gideon blew the trumpet and broke the pitcher, the crowd was to do the same thing. And can you imagine this scene? Here it, is, here it is dark. All you can see is the glowing embers of the fires of the Midianite soldiers in the camp. And all around that camp together, 300 men, and they've got a sword, or, or, or they've, got a, they've got a pitcher, and they've got a trumpet. Can you imagine the impact of hearing 300 trumpets sound at one time? And then all of a sudden, 300 urns are vessels broken, and all of a sudden, lights from 300 candles just blossom out. Now, what I want you to remember about that is this. The light was not seen until the vessel was broken. 
neither will the glory of God be seen in your life or mine until our life is broken. I don't know how God must, what he must do in order to break our will. But I guarantee you, he has his ways. It may be through adversities, setbacks, loss of position, loss of possession. It may be through a hundred and one different ways. But God can never use us to our maximum until we are broken. And the glory of God then can be seen. Tracy over here fools her horses. And she got a dandy. If you'll cut the price, Tracy, I'd like to have it. But anyway, here's a beautiful horse, a strong steed with great strength. Stands with great, uh, 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 with a great pride. And you can't help but admire an animal like that. But you see, that animal is of no use unless its will is broken and submitted to the person who rides. In fact, that animal can be very dangerous if it is not broken. Oh, how dangerous are the lives of God's people that are not yielded in their will to him totally. Now, I said total submit, surrender. A absolute surrendering of our will in every area. You see, some of us are only broken on one side. I heard about a preacher one time back in the old days who wanted to buy a horse. And the fellow, the preacher asked him, said, how much you want? And the man said, oh, $100, $100. And the old preacher said, well, is he broke? And the man said, yeah. Could it broke to a child. Why, a child could ride this horse. And so the old preacher got the saddle on him and started to climb up on the horse. And the fellow said, hey, 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 wait a minute. The man said, what's the trouble? He said, uh, don't get on that side. He said, a horse will throw you. He said, what do you mean? I thought he's broken. Oh, he said, he's broken, but just on one side. And a lot of us are broken in one little area of our life. But for the maximum use in our life that God wants, we're going to have to be broken on both sides. Both sides. The man, the woman, the boy, the girl, God uses. We want to be used. We must meet his conditions. Let's bow for prayer. I'd like for us to sing a song that I sing so often here and everywhere I go. It's a song that says so much to me and I try to make the prayer of my life. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I'm the clay. Mold me. Well, now, when God starts molding you, you kick you say, oh, now, wait a minute, Lord, I got my own plan. You know, Lord, I, this, is where, this, this is my plan, God. I, uh, Lord, don't, don't, don't expect me to do that. I'll do anything, but I, I won't do that. Our will not totally surrendered. Can you really say in your heart, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, Lord, I'm willing. I surrender. I want to be used of you. Lord, if it means saying uh, goodbye to some of my choice friends or if it means uh, family, if it means position, job, whatever, Lord, I just want you to have your way. I don't want to hang on to anything. I just want your will in my life. May God help us to say it and mean it. Let's stand to our feet, please.
Heavenly Father, as we sing stanza so of this old hymn, may we mean it. Lord, I don't know, you may be dealing with somebody right here tonight about a total surrender. Maybe some have thought in days past, well, Lord, I've surrendered all I've known to surrender, and no doubt they have. But Lord, we find from day to day there are new areas of life that, that come up, and, and we, we're reluctant to say, Lord, this is yours too. I want to surrender this. And sometimes, Lord, you know, there's a struggle that goes on in me. I pray tonight that you'll help us surrender everything that you've brought to our mind and heart to give it all to you. Lord, we only have one life to live and we sure don't want to waste it. We don't go through this way but one time. We don't want to throw it away in selfish pursuit and pleasure and will, but we want it to count for you. Now help any of us here tonight need to make that surrender to do it. Maybe somebody here tonight needs to be saved. Somebody needs to unite with our church, whatever. Lord, you deal with these hearts and may wills crumble for Jesus' sake. Heads are bowed. Let's sing it prayerfully and mean it with your heart. And if God's spoken to you about a need in your life, an area of life that you hadn't really committed to Christ, why don't you come and just bow here on your knees before the Lord and tell him about it. Make that surrender, will you? Is there something you hang on to? Something that you're really reluctant to move away from? God help you. Let's sing one stanza, the first stanza, and as we sing it, you come on together, sing it.